behind us, Andy has put up these uh, parchments that he made with promises of the passages that we're going to be looking at in uh, both through Christmas and all the way into Easter. And for people that were in Israel and that were reading these passages in the Old Testament, they were islands of hope. They were beacons of hope, these promises. They clung to them that God was about to do something, that he was going to do something that saved them from their problems, from the difficulties of sin and shame and brokenness. And we have up here these promises that we're we're going to be studying over the times that are are up yet to come. And today is is, is one of those promises in, in Isaiah 42. And I'm was so impressed by the three testimonies that we heard two weeks ago of the brokenness and, and these young people. I think of Dan as an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old. What would we tell him at Christmas time? What hope is there? Is the hope, hey, you're going to get some presents this year maybe. Is the hope that, that maybe Santa will come and make one day a good day. Or is the hope the hope of a Savior? Is Christmas about something more than just one day? I used to look forward to Christmas from the time that school started in September. I was looking forward to Christmas break. I wasn't looking forward to necessarily a deeper understanding of the promise of Christmas, but I was looking forward to Christmas. As I've gotten older, I look forward to Christmas still. I look forward to the promise that we have in Christmas. I look forward to family being together. I look forward to the the time we can celebrate. I look forward to our services here at the church in ways that I couldn't have imagined when I was younger. But above all, and with no comparison to the rest, I look forward to the promise that we have in Jesus at Christmas. And this is that promise that was just whispered about early on in Isaiah 42. Just the beginnings of a promise that seemed to not match with what was going on in their lives. It didn't seem to fit this kind of promise with what was happening in Israel at the time. You see, Jesus is God's faithful servant. He is the promised one who was to come to fix what is ailing us, what has broken us, what has left us without hope and joy. Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 9 is our passage, and I'll read all nine verses. So if you have your Bibles or your phones open or you want to look on the screen, Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 9. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. I will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. 
He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and the spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out of the prisoners, bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Isaiah 42, 1 through 9, begins with behold. Behold, look at what I'm about to show you. And it's in opposition to what has just been written of in Isaiah 41, where God has put on display the idols that they have been worshiping, the things that they've put their faith in. And Christmas is a time to ask ourselves, what have we put our faith in? What have we trusted in to bring us joy, to bring us peace, to bring us hope? To give us justice. And in opposition to the idols, if you were to read just the last verse... Isaiah 41:29 says, "Behold, they are a delusion, their works are nothing, their metal images are empty wind." Speaking of these idols that the Israelites at the time had put their trust in, that they were praying to, that they were hoping from, and for us it might be wealth, it might be position, it might be popularity, it might be our 401k, it might be our house and our cars and our friends. What have you put your trust in? And he's saying that these will not measure up. They won't hold. Behold. Behold. Now I'm going to give you a promise. My servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. Behold my servant. This is the first of four servant passages that are clearly messianic. They are understood both then and now as something pointing to somebody who's coming to save. Someone who's going to make sense of the mess that we live in. At the time that this is being written, there isn't much making sense. There are tormentors and oppressors at the doorstep and they are beaten down and they are not at all the people that they imagined that they would be as the people of God, the Israelites. They thought that their lives would be different. And as, an, uh, as a statement of hope, he gives this promise. Behold, in the presentation, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, and whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. In Matthew 3, 13 to 17, we see Jesus being baptized and God the Father using this exact language as if to say, here he is. Here's the servant that I promised 700 years ago in Isaiah. 
I told you that I was going to send you a servant who would make sense of it, and my soul would delight in him, and I'll put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. This is brought up in verse 1, verse 3, and verse 4. This justice that's being offered. What is justice? What does that mean? Well, the English word doesn't mean what the Hebrew word means here. The Hebrew word that that means justice is misbat. And it means the opposite of chaos. It means order. It means peace. It means shalom. It means bringing back the order that God intended to our lives because God created us to be filled with peace and filled with joy and filled with love and to be surrounded by those kinds of relationships, starting with that relationship with him. But because of sin, that relationship has been broken. And because of sin, the Israelites aren't experiencing at all what God intended. And I can tell you in the 21st century, we are not experiencing at all what God intended. He intended to bring justice to the nations, mispat, peace, and flourishing, and order, not chaos. This Savior, this one who God's soul delights in, the one who will have the Spirit, he's going to bring this peace, this shalom, this justice to the nations. It reminds of the promise from Genesis chapter 12 that God would bless the nations through the people of God, through the Israelites, and here we see a hint of how he's going to ultimately do that. He is going to bless the nations through his servant, through the Son of God. Through Jesus. In verse 2, it says, He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Here is this promise that Jesus is going to come. The Messiah is going to come. Christmas is going to happen in a way that is different than any other takeover that we've seen in the world. I've been to Africa. I have seen how ravaged the earth can be when one ruler takes over from another ruler. Do you know how it's usually done? With force. Do you know who usually is stepped on? The weak. The poor. They don't matter. There's this transfer of power, and that transfer of power is done in a way that crushes people. People that are considered insignificant in this battle. And God is promising that this Messiah is going to bring peace and justice to the nations in a way that does not crush people who are wounded, does not beat down those who are broken, does not extinguish wicks that are just barely hanging on. What an amazing promise. How in the world is God going to accomplish this? Are the Romans just going to lay down? Are the Babylonians just going to give up? 
Are the Assyrians going to say, yeah, go ahead, God, take what you want? And enter Jesus, a baby, in a manger. What's the significance of the manger? What's the significance of the humility of coming to people from Nazareth, coming to someone who's poor, coming to people and born in a place that others would say were insignificant? His justice fights for the insignificant. He's going to do this transfer of power without extinguishing the flame that is just barely hanging on. Of course, he's not talking about reeds and wicks. He's talking about us. Christmas is for people who are barely hanging on. Christmas is for people who have seemed to bear almost lost hope. Take a fresh look at what Christmas is about and see that we serve a Savior who has come to give hope to the hopeless and help to the helpless. God's servant will not crush or disregard the bruised or the faint. He says that he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. He's not going to force this. He's not a bully in the marketplace. Now, it doesn't mean Jesus didn't cry out in the marketplace. He did. But how did he do it? He did it fighting for the weak and the poor, and he did it putting himself at risk so that we would have hope. This is the servant that is promised 700 years before Christ. In verse 4, it says, He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice. Remember what that means in the Hebrew. This mispat, this order in your life and mine. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. He is not tiring of fighting for us day after day, year after year, and gently offering to heal. Merry Christmas. Christmas, God promises to bring justice and healing. Christmas, God promises a new covenant relationship with him. If you see up here on the passages, there is a passage that we talked about two weeks ago. Right here in the middle. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Isaiah 1.18. That promise, when I'm reading Isaiah 1, doesn't make sense. It follows a litany of failures of Israel and how they've continued to thwart their relationship with God. And all of a sudden, as a response, he says, Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be whiter than snow. I'm going to take away your sin. This is what I choose to do. And now, here in Isaiah 42, we're seeing somewhat by the means he which he means to do it. There is the promise of a servant who is coming 
who is going to solve our problems. God promises a new covenant relationship with him. Verses five through nine. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. Remember for a minute and consider who God is and what he's done. He is our creator. He is the one who has put order in the world. And as we look at the world through the eyes of science and we see how the world functions and how the earth functions and and how God took such great care bringing order to this world so that it would function well, the right amount of gravity, all of the things that are put in place so that we can flourish and so that other animals and trees and just the idea of carbon dioxide and oxygen and how they work in concert with each other and how we live in community. This is the peace that God intended. And why does he point this out? Because he wants you to know that the God who did this is the God who is still doing it spiritually for us. Spiritually, he is trying to bring order and peace and love and joy to us. And we can trust that he can do it because he's done it before and he'll do it again at the last day. He is the one who brings peace. He is the one who brings joy. He is the one who brings misbat, justice. He's been doing it from the outset. In verse 6, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. Now last week we heard Dr. Norbeck talk about this title for God, I am Yahweh. And we learned that we can cry out to him because Yahweh is a God of comfort and mercy. We learned that we can worship him because Yahweh is a God of power, plan, and purpose. And we can proclaim him because Yahweh is a God who empowers. This title, Yahweh, was what he called himself when he met with Moses and he made a covenant with Moses. Yahweh, the personal God, has entered into a promised relationship with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, with Moses, with David. He is a God who is making promises, relational promises with people with the idea that he'll redeem. I am Yahweh, I have called you in righteousness. That's a remarkable statement. I have called you in righteousness. Does he not remember what he wrote in the first 17 verses of Isaiah 1? Does this make any sense to a people that are being judged and being carried away by Babylon? Or by Assyria? What is he talking about? I have called you in righteousness. Well, he is the one who is going to solve this righteousness problem. Jesus is the one through the death and resurrection, through the blood of the lamb, who pays for our sin and makes it so that we can enter into a new covenant relationship with him. He says, I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. Who is God giving? I will give Jesus as a promise for the people, a light for the nations. And Jesus stood up and said, I am the light of the world. 
And Jesus stood up and said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We have been called in righteousness, and this new covenant, which we'll be looking at when we get to Jeremiah, this new promise of God is given in Jesus himself. And Jesus stood on the last day and took the cup and said, this is the new covenant of my blood. This is the promise. This is the new promise, the new relationship that we have with God, that we can have peace with God, that we can have peace with each other. Christmas is about peace. And it's solving a peace problem that's bigger than any individual war that we experience here on earth, whether it's in our homes or whether it's in our nations. Jesus came to bring misfat to our hearts. Order and peace and joy and love back to our hearts. That's the promise of Christmas. I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations. Verse 7, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out of prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. God's purpose in the world is to save, to seek and to save. God's purpose in the world is is to bring people out of prison, to open up the eyes of the blind. And he's not just talking about physically. He did physical healings. Jesus did physical healings, but those were signs. We learned that in the Gospel of John. Signs that are pointing to that if you believe in him, you will live. In fact, it's written at the end of the Gospel of John that these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may live that you'd live, that you'd have misbat, shalom, justice. You're not going to find that from carved idols. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Why is he not giving his glory away? Why is he jealous of his glory and the the praise that's due him because he knows that that's how we get help. We've already learned from the chapter before that in idols, there is no peace, there is no love, there is no joy. In the things that we've placed our trust, there's no future there. His jealousy over it, to me, from my perspective, is an invitation. He loves you so much, he doesn't want you to go down that road. Why do you love those things and don't come to me? Behold, former things have come to pass and new things I now declare, verse 9. Before they spring forth, I will tell you of them. God is promising that he is going to bring this to pass. Now I can tell you when Christmas happened and Jesus was born that I don't know of anyone who saw it coming. No one thought that God would do what God did. No one could picture, it was almost offensive that the living God, the Son of God, would come as a child in in a barn, in a cave, 
far from glory, far from honor, far from praise. He came poor and meek and mild, and he when he ministered, that's when he got all the glory and the honor, right? No, he was called friend of sinners. He hung with the riffraff. You know what church is? Church is a gathering of redeemed riffraff. Amen. Amen. If you're wondering if you belong, maybe, maybe you're looking around and you're thinking, wow, these people are better than me. No, we're not. What we are is redeemed. What we are is saved. What we are is those who have trusted the promise of God that Christmas brings order and peace and shalom and love and joy back to our lives. This hasn't been an easy few years. The world is not filled with order and peace and love and joy. There are pockets of it for sure. But there's a mess. And in the heart of what's going on, Jesus has not grown tired of fighting for the broken reeds. And they almost burned out wicks. For those who are almost lost hope and don't know where to turn, I'm here to tell you you can turn to Jesus. You can trust him. He's the one who God sent to heal, to open our eyes, to help us walk again, spiritually speaking. As we close, there's a call to us as a church also to be this misbat. To have wholeness by the power of the Spirit and to be a place of love and joy and peace. To be a place that affirms and builds up and fights for those who are hurting and fights for the struggling. Jesus, when he was accused of being a friend of sinners, did not say, oh, no, 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 I'm not with them. No, he hung with them, and he built his church with them. And that's where we build our church, fully focused on Christ and how important is it that we live out and practice this peace and love and joy with each other. This is the miracle of church. This is the miracle of Christmas. Merry Christmas. Won't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, from the very beginning of time, you planned to heal and to help. even though we would fall away and even though we would ruin relationships with each other and with you, your plan was to bring order and peace and love and joy. Justice to the nations, justice to us. 
Father, I pray that you would do it anew, that you would revive us. There are so many wounded people that are being crushed right now. Would you remind this world of the hope of Christmas? In Jesus' name, amen.